Okay, you guys, no matter if you're training for something big or you're just trying to get lean and stay healthy, your body requires a lot of protein. In fact, around one gram per pound of body weight. Now, cooking whole foods is best, but I'm going to be honest, sometimes I need help hitting my protein count with clean, on-the-go nutrition that works for both myself and my family. But that is a lot harder than it sounds. I've been searching for months to find a super clean, affordable protein powder that actually tastes good, has a full amino acid profile, and doesn't upset my stomach. Finally, I found Equip Foods Prime Protein. And seriously, you guys, I am hooked. Prime Protein has over 2,000 five-star reviews because there's no junk, fillers, or additives ever. Equip's unflavored grass-fed beef isolate protein powder has only one ingredient. All of their flavors taste amazing. Vanilla happens to be my favorite. They mix well. They can be added to countless low-carbon keto recipes. You can make a quick shake with just one scoop and get a 21-gram protein instantly. You guys, that's like eating four ounces of steak. Every single batch of Prime Protein is certified non-GMO and is free of glyphosate and heavy metals. If you need a delicious, easy-to-use, easy-to-digest, clean protein powder, seriously, you guys need to check out Equip. You can save 15% off with my code DRFIT, D-R-F-I-T, at equipfoods.com. And by the way, every single bag comes with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't love it, send it back for a full refund. No questions asked. to the Fit and Fabulous podcast with Dr. Jamie Seaman. Hello, everybody. It's Dr. Jamie. Welcome back to the Fit and Fabulous podcast. You are not going to want to miss today's episode. I'm telling you right now, put the things down, pay attention to what we're about to say. Today's guest changed my life and definitely provoked a lot of thinking in my brain about health and wellness, weightlifting, exercise, diet, And uh, I want to introduce you all to John Jaquish. He spent years researching, developing, improving approaches to our health. He's the inventor of the most effective bone density building medical technology, which is now partnered with Tony Robbins. I'm sure you guys know who that is. It's called OsteoStrong. And uh, he is also the inventor of X3, which I don't know that we can demo. I don't know if I have enough camera space to demo for you, but uh, we're going to talk all about it. So a technology proven to develop muscle much faster than conventional weightlifting, all with the lowest risk of joint injury. Dr. Jayquish methods are used in training the world's most elite athletes and associations such as the entire Miami Heat organization, NFL and NBA players, as well as Olympians. Dr. Jay Quish's book, Explaining His Non-Conventional Approach to Human Physiology, is a Wall Street Journal bestseller. He's also the CEO of Primal Medical Group, a physician group with over 100 general practitioners that understand and require patient application of both Dr. Jay Quish's physical medicine interventions like X3 and OsteoStrong, as well as optimized nutrition protocols that we're going to talk about because you guys your minds are going to be blown. Well, maybe some of you already follow him and already do all these things, but let's dive into it. Dr. Jay Quish, welcome to the Fit and Fabulous podcast. Thanks for having me. Okay. Take us back in time. Little John Jay Quish. What was life like before you became who you are now? What led well, you on this path? Um, so, I mean, after I finished undergrad, um, 
I was playing semi-pro. I, play, I played rugby all through university and then semi-pro after that. Um, so it was sevens, rugby sevens. It's like seven on seven rugby. It's a little faster pace game. Um, and then um, I was working in relationship management software. So basically just um, using technology that the company I was working with developed uh, to come up with custom solutions to communicate with customers. So like, for example, um, you know, uh, Vanguard mutual funds, like that was one of my customers. And, and so like, it would be like prospectus delivery and sort of management based on what the behaviors were in people looking at the financial information. So if they were looking at like one type of thing in particular, one type of investment, then they got presented that type of investment. Now, that's, this is how the internet works today. But we're talking <laughs> like 25 years ago. Um, so back then it was like, wow, how does my computer know that I'm interested in that? You just have to say it. Like, small white cats, small white cats. And then one just shows up in your apartment. <laughs> or definitely on your Instagram feed. <laughs> Where the hell is he? My cat's out his cat, his cat was like right behind him earlier. You guys missed it. He was the cutest dang thing. So he might make a, another appearance, but then again, if he's wanted, then he won't. You know, <laughs> he's a cat. A he shows up when a he's like, you know, trying to kind of trying to piss you off. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Okay, so back back to our conversation. So yeah, you, uh, so, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I was uh, not involved in physical medicine at all. And then my mother was diagnosed with osteoporosis. And I was in the middle of getting my MBA at the time. Uh, so, like, I was happy in the software industry. Um, and I was doing phenomenal. And uh, then all of a sudden, my mom hits me with this osteoporosis thing. And now, or, I mean, I'm talking about then, but I was, like, like in the moment, like, Okay, she tells me she's going to quit hiking, quit playing tennis, and quit gardening because she doesn't want to have a fragility fracture. It's like mm. those were her three favorite things. And I thought, okay, let me learn a little bit more about osteoporosis because she came home and she told me about the side effects from the bisphosphonate drugs. And I was like, yeah, I don't think I'd take those drugs either. So she just said, I just got to keep from fracturing. So I have to stay inside all the time. And I thought like, okay. Yeah, that doesn't like, make well, sense. I'm to be miserable here. So as I began to research uh, bone, and uh, one thing I was lucky to be born with is I have a photographic memory. Like if I read something, and then ten years later I read something else, I'll be like, "Hey, it's like that other thing I read ten years ago," which for some reason I can immediately find, like. It's just how my brain works. And, you know, you put the two together and it's like, you know, you can't draw a conclusion from one point of information, but you can from two. And so I started to do that. Like, as I was looking into osteoporosis, I thought, okay, let me find the outliers. Let me find who has the strongest bones. Um, maybe look at what they do and maybe that'll answer the question of what people should do when they have weaker bone density. Um, well, the answer was really crystal clear when I started looking at the academic literature because gymnasts have sky high bone density. They also have tons of injuries. Uh, so 
when you look at gymnasts, uh, it's, it's an easy sport to study because they land, they absorb impact in the same way every time. In fact, if they don't do it in the same way every time, they injure. Yeah. So the landing, the hitting the ground is really important for a gymnastics athlete. And uh, so we're looking at the way they hit the ground, how they absorb force. And then, of course, the, 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 injury, the average gymnast retires at 19 years of age. So I wasn't going to go tell my mother to go be a gymnast. Uh, <laughs> you know, she was in her, like, 70s. Yeah. Uh, so, so I go, okay. Um, Gymnastics is if, out. <laughs> what if I could create something that gives the benefit of high-impact forces without the risks? And so that was what ultimately ended up becoming osteosporosis. And, uh, and it worked like within, within 18 months, she had the bones of a 30 year old and wow. no side effects at all. And, uh, we have wow. 300 osteostrong locations in 15 different countries now. So major okay, metro so areas have them. Explain, um, because your memory is so good and you're a really smart guy. I mean, I've seen you just spit out studies after studies after studies, tell people how doctors are traditionally treating osteoporosis and how osteostrong is different. So there's a category of drugs called bisphosphonates. Uh, these drugs keep the older bone material from shedding on the outer cortex, the outside of the bone. So basically, if this is a bone in front of me, you know, let's say it's this wide, and we're looking at a cross section, the middle is trabecular bone, and it it's what has the most activity, the most, um, metabolically active generating activity and then as these cells migrate to the outside they become more dense they become pushed together and so like when you see uh pictures of the bone matrix it kind of looks like a honeycomb with all these little walls and there's voids in between and they, those voids become more compact as you get to the edge so a bone really is more porous in the middle and then less porous on the outside and that's called the outer cortex so what the bisphosphonates do is keep the older outer cortex from shedding because normally it gets to the end and then it just kind of sheds and becomes just calcium in the bloodstream again, and uh, as well as 11 other minerals, calcium primarily. Um, now, when we look at the bone metabolism, the, you're really, by taking a bisphosphonate drug, you're interrupting the bone metabolism. And then, of course, the questions are, well, we can only really see the outside of the bone, even with a DEXA scan, which is like a dual X-ray. It's DEXA stands for dual X-ray absorbiometry. So we have the bone, we're looking at the outside of it. The bisphosphonate drugs make the test we use look really good. Mm. But is it actually stopping fractures? And the reality was it looked like people were fracturing only a little bit less. But when they would have fractures, because the outer shell was harder than normal, they would have what's called a spiral fracture or an abnormal fracture, which is more like a shattering. So instead of a bone having a clean break, it busts apart in a whole bunch of different pieces. And that is a much more difficult fracture to recover from. Uh, in fact, that has a high association with mortality. Like... Like, I was just about to say, why should people be scared of osteoporosis? I mean, right. I think most so people think you break your arm, so you put a cast on it. Drugs aside, yeah, it's, it's, it's not just putting a cast on. In fact, like a spinal fracture, there is no cast. 
It just stays there. It just heals on its own. Hopefully in the right place. You really can't do much about it though. Whether it's in the right place or the wrong place, you just wait and see what happens. So that's a lousy situation. Also, for people who are older who have osteoporosis, the most common activity associated with spinal fractures is sneezing. So it's not like you can't, you, you're like, oh, well, I just won't sneeze anymore. Like my mom's attitude of, well, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna go in the garden anymore. I'm not gonna hike anymore. No, 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 no. Sneezing is the most common activity. So like, you're kind of, you're in trouble no matter what. So, okay, how do we address this? By addressing it with what the term I coined was osteogenic loading, which uh, Wikipedia hijacked from me and ended up like I created the term and there's a whole way Wikipedia page about osteogenic loading, crediting all kinds of people who have nothing to do with the term. Yet I'm the first one, like my first book is titled Osteogenic Loading. So um, yeah, I, I created the term and then a bunch of, uh, you know, jealous assholes took it away from me. hundred percent. Yeah. I, mean, I still created it. So fuck them. I hope they sleep um, well at night. Well, I mean, it's just, um, we live in a world, uh, you know, the half of the country is, is sort of the religion of jealousy. Like I'm going to screw over anyone who has done. If I can't have it, you're not going to have it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And then like, that's just like the world we live in. And it's like, I see the, the troll attacks on me and it's just like lie after lie after lie. But, well, I think that know, comes with being healthy though, because you can't buy it. You can't, you literally cannot attain it without putting in the work. And so yeah. it's like, it's really, yeah. 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 Well, and of course people are also jealous of healthy people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. So tell us about osteogenic loading. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I treated my mother, totally reversed her osteoporosis, uh, continued to run a clinic in Napa Valley, California. Not a bad place. But was this like a prototype? I mean, did you just like make some little prototype device and you're like, mom, get in here. (laughs) I mean, what is she thinking? Literally, I made it in my garage. Yeah. Okay. I love this. Now, the first one was ugly. Like it didn't have seat cushions. It had beach towels and duct tape. Uh, you know, as pads to like lean your body on to compress yeah. certain parts of the bone. Um, you know, now it's robotic. Like it looks like the future. Uh, if you walk into an osteostrong location, you're like, whoa, like this is like some Star Trek stuff. And yeah, it is. It's awesome. But um, it needed that first step, of course. You don't start with making things that look like they're from Star Trek. Uh, yeah. It started by, you know, some really rudimentary uh, movements. I had, you know, metal bars and, and, and chains and uh, no movement. The movement comes from the body. So when you see someone doing an osteogenic loading event, and I've got these side-by-side pictures of this postmenopausal woman doing it, it looks like she got shorter because a large portion of her legs disappeared. Turns out that you can compress uh, the femur by three or four inches under, wow. you know, 1,200 pounds, which I think is what she was dealing with. Now, the bone is supposed to do that. We just don't think of bone like that. We think of it as a mm-hmm. hard, 
structure. Solid, rigid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is more rigid than, you know, muscle, obviously, yeah. but um, it's not like glass. Like it moves, it bends, it absorbs forces. And when it absorbs forces in the lower extremities beyond 4.2 multiples body weight, that's a really important point. Um, because a lot of people think like, oh yeah, I mean, I'll just go for a walk every day. And, you know, that's some physical activity and that'll grow my bone density. No, the minimum dose response is 4.2 multiples of your body weight. So how is it different than just weightlifting? Say it again. How is it different from weightlifting? You're saying you can't achieve 4.2 basically with, with any other mechanism. No. Um, In fact, even some of the strongest people in the world are not using 4.2 multiples of body weight. Okay. Okay. uh, Impact or impact emulation, which is what I call osteogenic loading. Um, so like when, when we did the first uh, trial that was in uh, at the Stratford Village Surgery, uh, which is a hospital in East London, we had uh, one of the machines there and, and um, people went through, there was, there was a whole test group that, went through this course of loading. Now these were completely, in fact, if they were athletic at all, if they had had any athletic background, they were disqualified from the study. You want people who never exercised um, just because like I didn't, you know, want any, any factors to raise questions. Like I wanted a, a pure test group. And of course the people who have never done anything, they have the worst bone density than, than their peers who have been yeah. doing some type of exercise because when you're younger, the longer you expose yourself to 4.2 multiples body weight, the higher your peak bone mass is going to be when you reach 30 years of age. Generally, it's downhill from 30, but the higher you are at that point, the more bone density you have to last. Uh, so if I'm listening right now and I'm you know, a 30, 40-year-old woman, so I'm not to menopause yet, I'm not even getting a DEXA scan and worrying about bone density, is this something that you could use to mitigate risk as prevention, or is this better at Absolutely. treatment? When do you, Absolutely. when do you start using something like this? Uh, is there, can you be too athletic, young? I mean, for athletic women, you know, we, we have them using it in their teens. Yeah. Um, college years. Fantastic. Because now these are the people who build bone density uh, that are sort of above normal, like kind of supernatural bone density, uh, which is, very achievable, not weird at all. Um, so like my, my bone density is 2.3 standard deviations above normal for a 30 year old of my age. And I'm 46. Mm. Is there any risk of having too strong of bones to your knowledge? Not that anyone has discovered. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, right. and, you know, like I've been at 2.3 standard deviations above normal for like seven years. So yeah. I think there is a density limit, you know, ultimately you can have a five gallon bucket and you can put, you know, three or four tennis balls in it and there's still room for more tennis balls. Yeah. Once you fill it to the top, it's at the top. Yeah. So I think your body just kind of self regulates. Hopefully, hopefully you're a good swimmer. <laughs> you're dense. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I love I, it. I, not because I, I understand that joke. Like it's, Bone, bone is a heavy material. It increases yeah, your body it weight is. a little bit. Um, yeah. 
but I don't sink like a rock when I'm, when I'm, in the water. <laughs> um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt you for one second. Okay. You guys. So Dr. Drokish wrote this book. Weightlifting is a waste of time. Obviously very clever marketing for the title, but I mean, you mean it in the literal sense because the subtitle is so is cardio. Um, so give us, give us the short and dirty of why weightlifting is an absolute waste of time. Because I mean, I go to the gym and I see people lifting dumbbells and doing squats and deadlifts. I mean, they look fit. Why is it a waste of time? Uh, What percentage of them? (laughs) I was just about to say, Oh, I don't know. Depends which gym and which part of town I go to, but probably like less than, less than 10, less than 10%. Yeah, less than 10% all comers, you know, when you walk into even like a fitness class or yeah, they don't. Yeah. I I actually remember this moment. I was running half marathons. It was after I had my babies and I thought that I had to run half marathons to get the baby weight off. This is, you know, this was my thinking at the time. And I remember watching these people running full marathons and I was looking at them and I was like, well, they don't look, (laughs) they don't look very fit. And that was like my revelation. I was like, what am I doing? Like, why am I running? This is so stupid. Okay, we'll dive into that too. But why are people just wasting their time right now? So you notice I didn't call the book resistance training as a waste of time. I did not call it that. Um, The book is really about variable resistance and how absolutely superior variable resistance is to standard resistance. In fact, in the first reference I use in the book, it's Petrella 2008, demonstrated that most studies on resistance training are self-selecting because they look for volunteers. Well, the volunteers for the studies are all already weightlifters. They're not just like, hey, I've never lifted a weight. I should give that a shot in a study. So what Petrella showed in 2008 was that 23% of human beings cannot under any circumstances grow any muscle at all by weightlifting. 23% people. And so that gets an interesting conversation started. Like, wow, that's like a significant portion of the population. Now, why? Let's look for a mechanism. Well, good news. It's pretty, pretty apparent. Uh, it's not a hormonal difference. Not at all. In fact, people can affect their hormones uh, pretty you know, from a pretty strong degree with just nutrition. So look, the, the question was why? The answer is where tendons attach in the body. So about 1% of the population has very advantageous tendon layouts. So for example, the origin of the pectoral is on the sternum, middle of the chest, right? Now, the other end, the insertion, can be in different spots. For 99% of the population, it's about right here. It's at, before the bicep starts, underneath the deltoid at the top of the humerus bone. However, some people have it over here. Wow. About 1% of the population has a different location where that tendon attaches. Now, if, if it's further, the further away from the origin, that's a lever that's made out of the most elastic material on earth, tendon. So 
Mike Tyson has this genetic. Knowledge. I was just about to say, name some a- like athletes. Are they yeah. baseball pitchers? Are they okay? Yeah, boxers. Uh, often, like pretty much, when you look at the NFL, um, especially like wide receivers and running backs, not necessarily linemen. A lineman, you know, like you know, you have if you have like you know a fourteen pound baby, you got a lineman. The, the most, the large, the most accurate determining factor of how big someone is going to be. I don't mean muscular wise, just big is birth weight, which mm. shouldn't really be a shock to anybody, but like the linemen are gifted from just, they're just gigantic people, but the power that I'm talking about, the super responders to weightlifting, those are usually the wide receivers and the running backs. And if you look at their tendons, they have, they have tendon insertions like this. So they've just got basically rubber bands inside their bodies that are forcing their muscle to become more active during exercise, which forces growth. Now, uh, you can see examples of this when you watch a, a sprinting race. Almost all sprinters have really high calf muscles. I mean, uh, this is also common in African-American community and they actually have that genetic anomaly more often than uh, people of European descent. So like when you see really high calf and a long tendon, that long tendon is just a, it's like a, it's a rubber band. And the bigger and more powerful it is, the more recycled energy. So most people, when they run 12%, when they sprint, 12% of the energy is recycled because they're stretching that tendon as it snaps back in place. That energy is, they don't need to contract a muscle to get that energy. The energy is just there because it's stretched and then it snaps back. The big, the more tendon you have, obviously the greater percentage. And so also in the more efficient positions, it forces the muscle to be more activated. So these are the people that are not only going to be faster and stronger, they're going to be able to build more muscle which ensures that they're even faster and even stronger than that. Now we can even the playing field by just training with the same method, variable resistance, like it completely equalizes. So like, as soon as I started training with variable resistance, I lifted weights for 20 years. Uh, I was even on testosterone replacement therapy because a rugby injury, I got some testicular damage. Um, so I was on TRT replace testosterone replacement therapy, uh, since I was 28, because after having a low level of testosterone, I had a car, like I, I went in a cardiologist cause I was having just irregular heartbeat during rugby games. And the guy's like, your cardiac muscle is paper thin. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? I play rugby. That's like 80 minutes of sprinting and stopping. Like my cardiac muscle should be super powerful. And, uh, he says, you need to see an endocrinologist. We need to know what your testosterone is. Turns out um, your heart uses the majority of the testosterone in your body. It's a mm. muscle and yeah. it's the top priority muscle in your body, right? That makes sense. Keeping the heart going is certainly more important than keeping the biceps going. So, and the body prioritizes it like that. So when I found out my my testosterone was 163 nanograms to the deciliter. 
uh, and I was 28 years old, they were like, whoa, okay, you need to be in a testosterone replacement therapy. We need you right around 1,000 nanograms since deciliter. So I got on testosterone replacement therapy. Immediately, my heart started doing better. Also, that was right around the time I was kind of done playing rugby because it was like one of those, am I going to take this seriously and do it? Like, you know, play overseas and, and have my life revolve around that? Or am I, you know, and I just thought like, eh. Like, I just went went in the direction of like, oh, I'm just going to take, you know, I, I got to get it. I got to get a real adult job kind of thing. <laughs> um, so went in that direction, uh, still continue to lift weights. I think I might've put on five pounds of muscle in 20 years of weightlifting, which is typical. Most people who yeah. lift weights get just about nothing out of it. So it's beyond the Petrella study. It's just, you know, like, like I, I grew muscle really quickly when I was in high school for about two weeks. And I put on that 10 pounds of muscle that beginner weightlifters get. And yeah. then basically from that point forward, like I said, 20 years lifting weights, maybe put on five pounds of muscle. I put on some more body fat. Like I think it was like 19% or something like that. Uh, when I, you know, my 40th birthday, but it was on my 40th birthday that, uh, well, before that I was doing a lot of research, looking at the bone density research and realizing just how powerful we are when we're in the impact ready range of motion. So when I'm here, I am seven times more powerful than when I'm here. Once you know that, why would you ever lift a weight? It doesn't make any sense. Like in anyone who's done a push up knows there's a big difference between when your nose is because you're starting at the, you're starting at right. the weakest point and you're, you're right. there's lifting a the weight into the strongest power. point. Yet yeah. for some reason we've chosen, we humans have chosen to ignore the variability in our power production capacity and instead just say, you know, lift heavy shit. I mean, it's just like, it's one of those where like the, the stupid weightlifter stereotype actually is a thing and it actually tended to sort of bro science. <laughs> yeah. It, it, bro science really, it just sort of shackled the, the, the thinking man, you know, it's like, no, this is the way it is. You just got to lift heavy shit. You just got, I, I don't know how many times I was running these theories by professional weightlifters, trainers, because it was all theoretical when I was talking about it. Because it's just about volume, right, to them, right? To the end, drugs. Yeah, they're, they're all <laughs> well, huge fans of performance enhancing drugs. Drugs excluded. Uh, <laughs> volume, well, volume, well, volume, know, volume, volume. Like, like you, you do know the body is supposed to be able to build muscle without drugs, right? And, you know, someone, actually, I, I had plenty of strength coaches. An NFL strength coach laughed at me when I said that. And I'm like, but all your athletes are drug tested. He goes, yeah, they're gifted. He's like, if regular people want to put on muscle, they should just use steroids. And I was like, wow, you suck. Wow. Well, not mention who this was because he's actually. <laughs> uh, I like him other than that. Now he was being super honest. That was just how we felt. He's just like, yeah, yeah, regular yeah. people, like they're not going to put on muscle without. And I just saw it like, okay, you, you have, you've been too close to this for too long. You've been working with too many genetic outliers. That's not right. So when I, I prototype X3, I actually got the prototype. It was uh, built at a, a machine shop that builds race cars. Um, 
So I used uh, aluminum. I used some you know great materials because I wanted I wanted even the prototype to look good. And then like I I put on thirty pounds of muscle in one year. Wow, thirty After pounds in one year. My fortieth my fortieth birthday, I got the prototype. My forty first birthday, like my fraternity brothers were looking at me and they're like, I, I feel like you're not even you. You're like someone else all of a sudden. Because uh, I love, you know, when you put on 30, 30 pounds of muscle on a six foot tall person, it's like they're completely different. So let's and, pretend, uh, let's pretend you're a genetic freak and uh, you were doubling your dose of TRT. What data do you have on X3? What, what could people expect using X3 like in a year compared to traditional resistance training, lean body mass gains? I would say... There's maybe a hundred different testimonials on the website where people put on 20 pounds of lean mass in six months. Yeah. You know, and, and it's from guys that are like, I lifted weights for 10 years or 20 years and I gained nothing. And then what about three, six months later, I have 20 pounds more muscle. My strength is completely different. My posture is completely improved. Like I'm a high performance machine. now. Like, like that, that's a standard response. Now, the other challenge I bumped into very quickly uh, was mm, only about 20% of the people who bought X3 had that phenomenon. So that's better than 1%. So weightlifting gets 1% of people strong. 20% of people got stronger with X3. And then I was like, the other people like, this is supposed to work for everybody. And I found out what the problem was. And this is a much tougher battle people were massively under eating protein. Mm. Right, because they get all this stupid crap from the news that you need your veggies and you need kale smoothies, which plant-based you know, diverticulitis, uh, you know, like all kinds of absolute horrible advice. Um, and also at the same time, I, I wanted the sort of the best nutrition advice for myself so what I ended up doing is I, you know, I first looked at nutrition research and realized it's a, it is a jungle of contradictory claims, statements, also major biases. Most nutrition research is paid for by Nabisco, General Mills, uh, uh, Pizza Hut. You know, I mean, they're, they're trying to get you to believe that the crap they sell is good for you. And they're paying lots of scientists to falsify data to say this. Now, I, I didn't even want to believe that that was, it was that nefarious. Mm -hmm. um, until, well, really until COVID. And then, <laughs> you know, it was like, okay, yeah, yeah. The medical community has no problem whatsoever just blatantly lying um for for political reasons and i also pointed this out on instagram um why does the government want you to eat food that's bad for you because it's cheap and 69 percent of americans are, have their budget managed so i'm i'm putting uh you know welfare and WIC in the same yep. category as social security now it's a very they're very different things but from the perspective of budgeting, the federal government's deciding who gets what on what, you know, how often. Yeah. 
So would they rather allocate $2 a day so you can eat Oreos and some kale or $20 a day so you can eat steak? Yeah, they don't want you eating steak because they yeah. don't have the money for it. Yeah. So they're going to tell you to eat something that's completely suboptimal because it fits the budget. So, okay, I mean, it sucks that we have to get socioeconomic about this argument, but that's just a fact. It's like, yeah, I mean, when you look food. across the US, the places that have the most obesity, the most diabetes, it tends to be our southern states like, you know, Georgia. Yeah. And, um, and they have the lowest income, annual income. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely and utterly related. I, I, you know, it, it is kind of funny, like the United States with all our social programs, our poor people are the fattest. Right. They're That's supposed to be goes starving and suffering. <laughs> right. I mean, you go to like a, a, a country overfed and under undernourished. Yeah. Yeah. Like the skinniest people, they're, they're dying of malnutrition because they can't eat anything. They can't afford any food. So, you know, I mean, like the, just the, the gluttony and the, the bizarre expectations. Like I hear, I hear uh, politicians talking about poverty in America all the time. And it's just like, are people buying this shit? Have they not yeah. been to a third world country? Like this is pathetic. So, yeah, I think recently uh, RFK Jr. was the first person I've ever heard who has kind of said on his political platform that he plans to decrease chronic disease by 50% in this country if he's elected into office. And basically yes. said, if I don't do it, then don't reelect me. And I thought that was a really bold statement because honestly, in the last number of years since I've ever been alive, I've never heard that be part of anybody's political campaign. <laughs> and yeah. it's like one of the most prominent issues that our country faces. Well, he and I have some mutual friends and apparently he like understands carnivore nutrition and he understands exercise. He's in really good shape. I'm actually interviewing him. Uh, ah, yeah. fantastic. Fantastic. So, well, I can't wait to hear. I, I don't know how long of an interview time I'll get, but yeah, um, yeah I'm excited because that's, I want to, I want to ask that question. I, I think it's absolutely ridiculous. We still have a corn subsidy. Like everyone knows grains are terrible for you. Yeah, and yeah, all the grains are subsidies. Subsidizing corn so it can be chemically rearranged in the form of high fructose corn syrup so companies can make more addictive candy bars. Yeah. Fuck yeah. those guys. <laughs> you know what I like, learned? I went to... Uh, it's insane. It's insane. I went to... Uh, my husband and I went to Maui uh, and... Uh, we went to a chocolate factory, like a cacao farm. And I just wanted to learn about the process, right? It was like how they make coffee and whatever. But they were telling me that they take these cacao beans and they, they get the cocoa butter out of them and real, like real chocolate, like real chocolate is like it's cacao butter. And he said uh, things like Hershey's, they take that cacao butter out, they sell it to the cosmetic industry, right? To like use on our skin. And then they just put vegetable oil in there. So their chocolate is like, it's literally sugar and vegetable oil. It's not even freaking chocolate. <laughs> no. two, two things that are like the highest contributors to cancer, heart disease. I was like, like oh they, my don't, God. they don't care. I mean, Insane. hey, if you're eating a Hershey bar, you kind of get what you deserve. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I, eat it's crappy like, food, feel crappy. You, you not only chose to eat chocolate, 
which is a poor choice in general, unless it's really infrequent, but you chose the cheap chocolate. Yeah. That's Eat some really real stuff. Like this. industrial trash. Okay. Uh, tell people why cardio is bullshit. Okay. Um, it depends on the type. If you're doing high intensity intervals, that's great. So, you know, you sprint hard for whatever a minute and then you slow down and kind of catch your breath. So you don't, what, what, what hurts people is the steady state cardio. So let's say, you know, they're at 150 beats per minute and they plan on going for an hour. Okay. That's going to upregulate cortisol for multiple days. Now there's no such thing as a bad hormone. Cortisol is not a bad hormone. It is a hormone that shows up from time to time to generally stop you from what you're doing. You know, so like you drink too much caffeine, cortisol goes way up and you don't feel good. Um, getting out of bed doesn't feel good. Also another instance of when your cortisol goes up. So does that mean getting out of bed is bad for you? No, it's great for you. You need to move around, but it's still a stress to the system and cortisol goes up. The problem with constant steady state cardio is to have the effect if you want to be a cardiovascular endurance athlete, you need to be regularly raising your heart rate for more than half an hour. I actually think the cutoff is really 20 minutes, but, um, you know, or they might, you know, they might go for an hour or two and they're raising their cortisol. So chronic raised cortisol does two things. It gets rid of muscle and it preserves body fat. So you stay as fat as possible, as long as possible. That's exactly what happened to me trying to run half marathons. That's right. That's what <laughs> happens to absolutely everybody. You know, chubby some, postpartum mom. Like, yeah. Well, everybody's different. Some people thrive. No, they're fucking not. Not everybody's different. How come we don't have you know, 20 different cohorts in every single study out there because everybody's different. Yeah, no, they're not. Uh, so yeah, this is just kind of a universal truth. Like the more cardio you do, the less muscle you're going to hold. Um, yeah, you don't see like super jacked runners. Like when you look at, never, you know, they're like never. tall, thin, Sprinters, lean. Yes. Yeah. This, so do you do any... Skinny fat. Like they're, they're yeah. not lean at all. Like I, I see hundred pound women that look skeletal, but still have cellulite. Yeah. 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 I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So do you do yeah, sprinting uh, or high intensity interval training? And addition to X3, do you do sprinting and hit? From time to time. Like when, yeah. when, when I have the time to do it, like two weeks ago, for whatever reason, um, it was, it was right before the hard to kill summit. I was, I was sprinting. Uh, but you know, like, I don't have time for that. And when I'm on the road, I certainly, you know, Dr. Sean O'Mara would be proud of you. You you can sprint in the hotel parking lots, John, (laughs) put your X3 out there in the parking lot. Um, okay. Let's talk more about nutrition. What, where we, where'd we go wrong? You already kind of said under eating protein and we've talked about people eating ultra processed foods. Yeah. But you eat a very, then I eat a carnivore diet. Say it again. You eat, you eat a carnivore diet. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Um, okay. Tell people how you came to the conclusion that that is optimal. 
So when I first started looking at nutrition, I had no bias. You know, if, if it was like, if the literature had said eat broccoli all day long and you know, you'll be lean and strong and live a long time, then that's what I'd be doing. But that is profoundly not what's there. Um, vegetable protein in general does not include the amino acids we need mostly because we do not have a working appendix. So the appendix in other primates converts fiber into essential amino acids. We don't have an appendix that does that. So fiber, we don't need it. In fact, it causes more problems than it solves. Um, and there's literature to back that up. Because I don't you know, I tell people like fiber doesn't, you don't need it. In fact, you'll be better off without it. You're like, whoa, how do you keep things moving? I'm like, I don't know, when you plug up your toilet, do you shove a couple of bath towels in there and just flush it 20 times? Because that's in essence what fiber is. Mm -hmm. you're, you think you're clearing a blockage by adding more blockage? Does that make any sense? Like I'm an engineer, it probably makes sense to me and maybe it doesn't make sense right off the bat to most yeah. people, but hey, you know, stuffing more stuff in the pipe is not how to clear the pipe. So, um, and that's actually not an oversimplification. That's literally what we're told. You gotta, I gotta keep things moving with fiber. No, because when you take fiber out of your diet and you eat all meat, first of all, your bowel movements are almost non-existent. Like they are so small and you're like, wait, you know, like sometimes I'll have like, three pounds of steak in a day. And then, you know, the next morning I use the restroom and I'm like, you know, when I first That's did it. this, all like, you got, <laughs> where did it all go? Now I'll tell you where it all goes. It all goes in your body. Your body uses it. Clue number one. Like if your body uses it, probably something you should be eating. Now, if not much waste product comes out, that's probably the most efficient food on earth. But my approach really came from looking at all this just silliness and bias in, in nutrition research and going, okay, I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to see like, what are the things that are, so it was a little like, like the osteoporosis problem. We'd take a step back and see like, who lives the longest? And what's, I wasn't looking at what they're eating because most you know, there's, there's so much bias and it's sort of like every time somebody lives over a hundred years, uh, uh, Nabisco flies out and says, uh, Hey, you know, we'll give you 50 grand if you say you ate Triscuits every day. <laughs> so the whole blue zone thing, you know, that's bullshit, right? Tell people why. Uh, well, all, all of the blue zones have one thing in common, no birth records. So it's just like, they're all lying and they're lying and they get paid by some, some charlatans that are selling, you know, carbohydrate based product and have the people say, oh yeah, it's my, my, uh, I just, you know, eat a lot of fiber and that's why I'm 110 years old. And of course they're not 110, they're like 90, which is lying. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so that whole thing is just, you know, forget about all that. Um, the two, as I took a step back, I'm like, okay, let's look at outcomes instead of nutrition. And that'll give me a clue. So once I realized that the two greatest drivers of long life are low levels of body fat 
high levels of strength. Those are two things that make you live the longest. Well, there's only one nutrition plan, only one that coincides with those two outcomes. And that's eating meat and nothing else. So, and that's, that is an infallible way of determining how we should be eating. Like, what are the outcomes? Like, you're not going to get as strong as possible by eating vegetables. And, you know, in fact, with the oxalate issue and the chronic cellular inflammatory issue, you can't even contract a muscle and use your joints properly when you have oxalates in your system. So get them out. It's amazing. Like when, when I, when I cut vegetables from my diet, which I never liked vegetables, by the way, uh, no, and, you know, as soon as I, I cut them out of my diet, it was just like, nothing hurts. Mm -hmm. It's weird. Like, especially for a rugby player, which, you know, I've done horrible things to every joint in my body. And all of a sudden I have no pain. The pain. Yeah. I took some abuse from rugby, but the pain was coming from the toxins in vegetables. Now, fruits don't include those toxins. So like, I will say if somebody wants to have a carbohydrate, if they're like, God, I just really want to have something sweet. I don't do it, but like, um, my wife's a perfect example. Like, especially around her menstrual cycle, it's just like, yeah. Can I like have some blueberries or something? Yeah. Right. That's, that's what she does. Raspberries yeah. and blueberries. Yeah. And usually mixes it with uh, kind of the bitter Greek yogurt. So it's yep, a little bit exactly. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's like, and she, I mean, she ends up having like six or seven grams of carbohydrates a day. Do you think, um, uh, do you think women need a few more carbs than men? I mean, we're, we're still talking like real low carb diets, but do you, do you have any thoughts, you know, in literature you've looked at? I mean, I mean, I guess my real question is, do you think zero carb is really optimal or do you think, you know, we could have a lot of muscle and be lean between zero and 50 or zero and 30, or does it have to be zero? So I noticed very quickly, uh, I mean, my, my wife is really the only female I've ever like watched monitored, you know, from, from this perspective, um, for just, just for proximity reasons, like she's just right there all the time. So, uh, you know, I subject mean, one, <laughs> uh, by the way, doesn't she look just like this picture? Exactly. Exactly. Somebody painted yeah. that. It's not a photo. I painted it. You painted that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, inc I don't think I knew that I've seen that picture shared, but I did not know you painted that. That's incredible. That's incredible. You get like got, seven gold stars. You're like, stars. <laughs> this, <laughs> lift weights, one. eat meat, and you can paint. That's you, you incredible. The one, the other yeah. One? Yeah. If yeah, you guys so are on says, Apple, you got to go to YouTube and see what we're talking about. So the, uh, awesome. oh yeah, if you're listening to this, you're really missing out. Um, yeah, that one, uh, I was commissioned to do for, uh, uh, Lebanese law firm. It's hanging mm. in their, uh, in their lobby, but you know, it's a picture of Beirut. Is sort of in the background and it's a woman in, a, in an evening gown holding a machine gun. You know, how long did it take it. you to paint this picture of your wife? Mm. How many I mean, hours? I used some digital assistance. Yeah. Like, Still yeah, though. So, I mean, like it was, it was, uh, you know, some like basically I created an image of her 
which I kind of traced over. Yeah. You know, like a picture. Like, like photo. paint by numbers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not torturing myself. I started with a clean yeah. Amazing. Um, and then I digitize the image and then I take, I, I made four different layers uh, and then space them out equidistantly, which is why you see like the fade going this way. Yeah. Different colors. You know, there's like a green version of her. There's a pink version of her. There's a yellow version of her and they all sort of bleed away, um, yeah. which was, it was kind of uh, inspired by, um, this painting uh, called Spectrum that was in a, uh, it was in a TV show that she liked. She always loved the painting and, and uh, the original was up for auction. And she's like, oh my God, they're selling my favorite painting. And I was like, sweet, I'll just buy it. And uh, it, it was 8 million British pounds, which, <laughs> you know, around like $14 million. You can just buy her another like, cat. She doesn't need the painting. <laughs> Well, I was like, I'll just, I'll just make one with you. And she's like, oh, you can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Tell me That's I can't cool. do something. <laughs> That's a labor of love right there. Okay. So tell us what your daily regimen is like, because I know you do some fasting too. give mm-hmm. us an idea of like your daily schedule. So <clears throat> I'm working on some nutrition programming with options. Because what I do is great for somebody who wants to be the best, who wants to be, now I say the best, I'm 46 years old. I think I'm in much better shape than, you know, almost 100% of people my age, uh, though every once in a while somebody's like, well, you'll never look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, the pictures of Arnold Schwarzenegger that you see were him in his 20s. He went plant-based, it didn't go well. (laughs) Okay, yeah, right, I mean, and for a lot of other reasons, it's like, okay, you just compared me to like the best guy ever. <laughs> the fact that you even compared me means I've won. Right. <laughs> this argument. So, so anyway, like to be the best, um, I've identified a couple of different approaches. So uh, fasting is so much easier than calorie restriction. Just hands down, like you're not hungry until you start eating. Small meals drive you out of your mind. Yeah. And they're not sustainable because I see people who take like a a bodybuilder's approach to dieting and they limit their calories. And guess what? As soon as they have their contest or as soon as they hit their goal weight, they balloon right back up. It's not sustainable. But being carnivore with fasting, so no carbohydrates or very low carbohydrates. Also, I didn't really answer the, the, the women question. When it comes to carbohydrates, nobody's really zero because there's glycogen in muscle meat. I mean, yeah, it doesn't show up on your uh, whatever fitness pal CGM, yeah, application, right? But there's carbs in there. Um, I noticed in what I was saying about observing my wife, she started really preferring eggs and cheese. Well, there's carbs in eggs and cheese. Now there's 0.4 grams of carbohydrates in every egg. And so, you know, I'm thinking, hmm, that's interesting. Like, and she didn't know that, by the way. She just gravitated towards those things. So I do, there's no clinical data that suggests anyone does better on carbohydrates. 
Yeah. I come across people all the time. They're like, well, I do better on carbs. Oh, you mean you're fat? Okay. Like that's really what that, no one does better. All of the studies that look at athletes and athletic performance, when they go, you know, as close to zero carbohydrate as they can, there's no performance difference. Do you think some of it is when people try to reduce dietary carbohydrates, they're not managing sodium and potassium, especially just in the first couple of weeks? I think the yeah. longer you've been on it, oh, you're fine. Weeks, but what I see is people, they're like, I'm going to go keto and then no management of sodium and potassium. And they're like, oh, no, no, I needed carbs. And then they add carbs back in. And then it's the self-reinforcement like, oh, see, I do better with carbs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I do think that's it. And um, like, like what my wife was like, I'm hypoglycemic. And I'm like, put some salt you? <laughs> and some warm water and slug it down. And like a minute later, she was like, it's gone. Right. You have an electrolyte imbalance. Well, also think about when you're having carbohydrates, you retain four grams of water per gram of carbohydrate. You take the carbohydrates out of your diet. Now you're retaining way less water, which means you have less cerebrospinal fluid which means your brain is not floating. It's sitting on the inside of your skull, which gives you brutal headaches. You know, so electrolytes can make up that difference. Um, and I, for a period of time, I encourage electrolyte use, but then, you know, for me, um, in fact, I just ate a ribeye before uh, starting this, this call with you. That was the first food I had in 85 hours uh, and, and, or moisture. Like I had a couple of glasses of water with that steak. Um, so I dry fast. So you were dry fasting. Yeah. For like three and a half days. Um, what about the people that say that uh, you lose muscle with fasting? Well, I mean, some of those people are just fools. I don't know what they're talking about is that's not what the literature says. Uh, when Peter Atia says it, the guy would fast for 10 straight days. And like, that's not really an intermittent fast. That's just like not eating for days and days and days. Intermittent fasting is like 48 hours, 72 hours. What I just did, 85. Like detraining starts in nine days. Now detraining meaning you stop exercising and you start losing muscles. That takes nine days. However, if you're training with suboptimal nutrition, as in none, certainly be suboptimal, you're not going to be able to really stimulate anything. And so, yeah, you're going to lose muscle. But I would never have people fast for that long. In fact, if they want more out of the fast, they should look into dry fasting, uh, which my last fast was dry. Uh, Explain and, why dry fasting is better than drinking fluids and not eating. Well, I don't want to say it's better. I want wet to say fasting it's sounds, wet fasting sounds like a weird name. <laughs> yeah, well, it's water fasting is generally what they call it. Um, as in all you consume is water. With a dry fast, your body still has plenty of water. It's called metabolic water. It's, it is what suspends fatty acids within fat cells. When you are dehydrated, that dehydration, it'll last for four or five hours. And then all of a sudden you're not dehydrated anymore. What happened? 
Also, even multiple days of dry fasting, you will urinate the same amount every day. Where's it coming from? It's coming from your fat cells. So your body starts pulling water out of fat cells. This is called metabolic water and it rehydrates you. Now, those fat cells get destroyed, which is very different than regular weight loss. So calorie restriction shrinks fat cells, but the cells are still there. So this is why you see people like on The Biggest Loser, you know, they lose like 150 pounds and they still have all the cells of, uh, you know, a 400 pound person. And now they're uh, whatever, 250 pound person. But as soon as they stop massively restricting calories, they blow right back up to their old size because the cells are still there. If they overeat just a little bit, it's, it's guaranteed it's going to be stored. And so they're at a major disadvantage because of how fat they have been there you know, for an extended period of time. That's their homeostasis, being fat. With dry fasting, they can actually destroy those cells, which I think is a huge opportunity. Now, you got to talk to your physician and you got to read the research. There are two papers, one out of Germany, one out of Greece, that talk about five days, no food, no water. Um, read them. Read them out loud to your doctor. If your doctor says, you know, you've gone over the you know, minimum appointment time, say like, can I pay you extra so I can read this to you? Don't ever leave a, a study with a physician because they won't read it. But if you read no. it to them, they're usually too polite to tell you to get lost. <laughs> I love that. I love yeah, that. GP, okay. He hates me. So I want you to tell people, first of all, where they can find X3, but I want you to tell people about the new force bar and why this is the new best thing when it comes to X3 technology. Yes. Yeah. The force bar. So I, X3 is the world's most powerful variable resistance home product. Um, there's a lot of ways to get variable resistance at professional powerlifting gyms. Um, you can't really find it at a standard gym uh, because it requires very specialized setups, banding, uh, sometimes chains are used. So the more of the chain that you lift up, you're lifting you know, uh, a greater percentage of weight as you move through space, similar with the banding. Um, variable resistance in every case and uh, every serious study has outperformed standard resistance training multiple times over. Like it's, it's almost like one is effective and the other one's just not effective, regular weightlifting. Hence the title of the book, weightlifting is a waste of time. By it's, it's really weightlifting is a waste of time by comparison to what we can get with variable resistance. So, and you, you, that's laid out like right in the first chapter. So like it, sometimes people see the cover and they're kind of like, irritated and then they start reading and they're like, Oh yeah. Okay. There's a solution to this problem. So, um, but that was X3. The problem with exercise in general, strength exercise in general is we don't really have a good way to measure progressive overload. So progressive overload means you are training with a slightly greater amount of work every session. Reps and weight. One of the Reps two or, or weight or just time. Uh, the problem is other than counting repetitions, which is very inaccurate, 
you don't really know. So sometimes somebody starts lifting weights and they do 10 repetitions with a given weight. And then the next time they go in, they do 12 repetitions with that same weight. So yay, that's progressive overload. No, because you did those repetitions faster, which actually means you did less work, not more work. And there really hasn't been a way to track progressive overload. And while progressive overload is the principle that drives all muscular growth, there really hasn't been a way to measure it. So now, I mean, obviously over time, when you have somebody who starts off not very muscular and, you know, they put on 10 pounds of muscle and, and, and they're lifting heavier weights for more repetitions. Yeah. I mean, there's been some progressive overload there, but measuring it from workout to workout is so the increments are so small. You can't see them by just counting repetitions. You need something more accurate and repeatable. So I came up with a version of X3 called X3 force, which captures the force. So you, you set it up Bluetooth on your phone. It tells you exactly what your work output is. So slower, more controlled repetitions because the software samples three times per second. It gives you credit for creating more force because you did as opposed to a faster, less controlled repetition. So slow cadence, two seconds up, two seconds down is generally what you want to stick to. And um, if you do that, you will see that you have grown muscle every single workout. You'll actually see it plotted on the screen right in front of you. You will be stronger every single time. And uh, nothing has been able to deliver on that idea. Some things have tried, yeah. but such an objective way. I expect the X3 force bar to absolutely take over the entire fitness industry. Like, I don't even think, I think in 10 years, there won't even be a fitness industry. It'll just be X3. Like that's how powerful it is. It's amazing. Okay. So uh, to wrap up, John, we're going to pivot into the last part of the podcast called the semen analysis. My favorite part, <laughs> give people your, your top three takeaways. What do they need to do tomorrow to start living a better life? Besides ordering the like X3 three single system. Words or three sentences? <laughs> Three. You can have you can have as many sentences as you want. What do people got to change like right now? Uh, it's going to take time to live one, the life of John Jacob. Carbohydrates out of your diet. Okay. Like if you go, I mean, I almost hate calling it carnivore because that just sounds so aggressive. You know, what's a carnivore like a lion? It's just Rawr. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like guys get into that, but I think that's a turnoff for women. I'm like, like, I'm just going to level with everybody. Nutrition is animal protein. Anything is yeah. not animal protein. I can, I can shoot it down. Like, oh, it's got a lot of, it's got a lot of, uh, you know, vitamins and minerals. Yeah. But the vitamins and minerals, the number of those things, the, the recommended daily allowances were, driven by expert opinion in the 1930s. It is the weakest, most piece of shit, piece of information in medicine today. It's an absolute abomination, an embarrassment. Like literally the shittiest advice is on vitamins and minerals. So what is there to do? Well, what I do is I eat primarily muscle meat. Now I've always liked 
liverwurst. My mother's from Belgium. Uh, she, they ate a lot of liverwurst there. I mean, I don't know, it's close to Austria. It's close to Germany. Uh, you know, it's like, it's a liverwurst part of the world. So like I grew up like, you know, like a burger patty and a slice of liverwurst and just melts into the burger. And like, I just think that's dynamite. Now the good news is if you're a nervous pants and you worry <laughs> that oh, I'm not going to get all the vitamins I need, because there's always somebody like that. It's like, eat some liverwurst. Now, eat it in proportion to how you would find it in nature. If you were going to, so yeah. 500 pounds of muscle meat in uh, uh, a cow. Yeah. In one cow. And the liver weighs two pounds. So basically, for every 250 pounds of steak you eat, you need about a pound of liver. Or just so a it's ratio. Not, it's definitely not that fifty. much. So you do not need all that yeah. much at all. In fact, if you have a lot of it, if you have way too much, um, you can get vitamin A poisoning. That's bad. You don't want that. So I especially polar bear liver. Two ounces of liverwurst. Uh, yeah, two, about two ounces a week. Because it's so flavorful. Like you don't you don't want to have it like every day. Well, and that's like, I always wondered if the desiccated capsules really had enough, but like what you're saying, that's oh, yeah, probably yeah. right. You're probably fine. Just taking some desiccated capsules. Yeah. In fact, I mean, amongst the liver King's problems, uh, the worst thing I think he was doing uh, for those who are listening and don't know what the liver King is, this guy was promoting <laughs> eating liver and he would eat so much of it. And I'm like, and what he was doing on camera, I'm like, you're going to get vitamin A poisoning. Like you're not supposed to eat liver like it's steak, but yeah. the guy ended up, he was on a bunch of steroids and growth hormone and shit like that. He's lying about it. <laughs> so bummer. Um, yeah. I, I liked his message of eating liver. I hoped he was natural. I really wanted him to be a natural. Yeah. Athlete, but, uh, he wasn't. Um, no luck. So, you know, you got to start realizing that carbohydrates exist. First of all, there's no such thing as an edible vegetable. They've all been engineered. All in some way, you know, cross cross pollinated or whatever, uh, and they were always from the very beginning developed to feed poor people. So it's let's find something to feed people so they continue living, but we don't really care how healthy they are. Like the, the you know kings pharaohs made these decisions thousands of years ago, and it wasn't for health; it was because it was cheap. Mm -hmm. So don't go cheap when it comes to your health. Stop eating yep. grains, stop eating fruits, stop eating vegetables. Meat is nutrition. And so that's, that's like my biggest takeaway. Then the other thing is if you have body fat to lose, really go down the fasting rabbit hole. Like you don't need to dry fast. Like that's, you can say that's crazy. I think it's like the most natural thing ever. Once, once you've done a proper dry fast and you, your body's used to fasting, like it's like a godlike power. Um, in fact, Jamie, like if you look at my face, you can tell my face is leaner from when it was two weeks ago when we were hanging out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like a lot. So it works so well. Um, and, then, and then the other thing is uh, variable resistance. Like read the book, weightlifting is a waste of time. 
everyone who's read it, even people who don't use X3, like, you know, little old ladies who, who, who just want to use variable resistance at the gym, you know, maybe they only need one band that provides a little bit of resistance. The fact is you're seven times stronger when you're at extension than when you're in the weaker range of motion. So once you know that a weight doesn't make sense, you need the weight to change as you move. That's what we need to trigger our bodies to grow. I love it. I love it. Okay. You guys get the carbs out of your life. Try some fasting eat your meat and do variable resistance training. Maybe you'll be lucky enough to look like Dr. John Jaquish, you guys. Incredible. Thank you so much. You guys, thank you for listening. If you made it this far, share this with somebody. Seriously, we depend on you to spread these messages around the world. We will catch you guys on the next episode. Did you guys love that last episode of the Fit and Fabulous podcast? Well, of course you did. And I want to keep bringing you the most amazing content from the most incredible people. And you can help me by subscribing to the Dr. Fit and Fabulous channel. You guys know where the button is. Just click it. It's the doctor's orders.